For most golf fans, seeing Amen Corner in person is right at the top of their bucket list. We were carrying our chairs around the, the par three on it, at Amen Corner. For Johnny Pruitt, it was the place his life came to a hard stop and where it then began again. I was talking to one of my wife's friends and he said that I started mumbling my words, I started stumbling and I, I stopped right in my track and the next thing he said, I just fell like a tree falling backwards. Jumped on me and just started doing CPR and he says, you're gonna have to get some medical attention here. I'm Dylan DeChair, and this is The Drop Zone. Johnny Pruitt grew up in Hanahan, a small town in South Carolina, where he learned to play and love golf from an early age. My golfing started with my dad pretty much shagging balls, and uh, then he ended up, you know, sawing off one of his clubs and whittling on down. I believe I was, you know, around six years old, and then I started hitting the balls back at him. And then when I started hitting them over his head, he decided that there might be something he might ought to do with me besides just shagging balls. Like plenty of kids from the Southeast, he grew up watching and dreaming about the Masters. His idol was Jack Nicklaus, but by the time he reached his late 20s, there was another young upstart beginning to catch his eye. There it is, a win for the ages. So, Johnny is incredibly excited when a couple of his friends invite he and his wife to come to the 2018 Masters. Tiger's playing well going in, they're all juiced up, and so they pull into Augusta the night before. They go out, have a steak at Longhorns. I think the night before I bought some fireballs. <laughs> so, you know, I was feeling pretty sporty that night. They have a great time, big Thursday night out in the town, and they wake up the next morning raring to go. And that is really where our story begins. Okay, so take me through then what, uh, well, what is Augusta National like for someone who has never been there? What is the, the feel of the place and what does it look like? It is heaven on earth. A place where legends are made, where dreams have been realized, where the royalty of the game have driven down Magnolia Lane to find their golf kingdom. So Johnny and his crew make it through the gates. And one strange thing about going to a tournament at Augusta is that you can leave your chair somewhere and you can just come back to it later. It's a placeholder. So that's their plan. Head down to Amen Corner, leave some chairs, and wander the course. We were carrying our chairs to around the, the par three on a, at Amen Corner. We hadn't got to our destination yet where we're going to put the chairs. I was talking to one of my wife's friends, that the ones that invited us to go with them to the Masters. And I was, I was having a conversation with him, and he said that I started mumbling my words. I started stumbling, and I, I stopped right in my tracks. And the next thing he said, I just fell like a tree falling backwards. Johnny Pruitt is going into major cardiac arrest. 
But as luck would have it, there happens to be a doctor standing right next to him. Jumped on me and just started doing CPR and he says, you're gonna have to get some medical attention here. They were just gonna put me on the back of the cart and take me to, I guess their emergency tent. Mm-hmm. Well, the doctor that was on me says, you just can't leave him like that on the back of this cart. I'm gonna have to get on this cart with him, do CPR, you know, try, try and just keep him where we get the lungs and the blood moving and use the Ambu bag to give him some oxygen and one of y'all's gonna have to drive. <laughs> so and by the time I went down and got to this tent, they said it was probably 20, 25 minutes that had elapsed. So you had not, you did not have a pulse to be clear at this point. You were effectively not alive. I was turning blue. At the medical tent, they restart Johnny's heart with an AED. Then they rush him off to a hospital. His family has no idea where he is. There's no phones at Augusta, remember. But at the hospital, they x-ray his chest to try to figure out what's going on. They said what happened was the heart electrically stopped from a regular heartbeat. I'm 53 years of age at that time. We go to the hospital. I get two stents that day. They hook me up, they do the hyperthermia thing, where they cool your body down. Left with no other options, they put him into a coma. I think all they wanted working was my brain, my heart, and my lungs. They could care less what else was, you know, in the vital organs that you need. While Johnny's under, things get even more complex. He's got a bridge set of fake teeth and they get sucked into his lungs well it broke loose and when it broke loose i sucked it into my right lung oh no so there's teeth in my right lung that they've got to somehow get out with me sucking in those fake teeth they were afraid i was going to be susceptible to pneumonia but after seven days miraculously johnny opens his eyes the man that went away from me, well, the fellow that took the breathing tube out, I told him to stop for a second. And I looked over at him and I said, man, that was one fucked up movie. At this point, Johnny's memory of the weeks preceding have vanished completely. He doesn't remember walking through the gates at Augusta National. He certainly doesn't remember Patrick Reed coming up 18, slipping on the green jacket. Will it be his life-changing moment? Yes, it will. Captain America captures Augusta. In the weeks that follow, Johnny undergoes the first of his many surgeries. He's still in Augusta. And after a couple of false starts, he's scheduled for a procedure to put stents into place. And it was Father's Day. I remember this because I was in the hospital for like five days and watching Phil Mickelson run to his ball and hit it. His speed has been terrible. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. I, I, 
That that's yeah. stunning. It's a simple question. What happened over at 13? Uh, look, I, I don't mean I don't mean disrespect by anybody. I know it's a two-shot penalty, and uh, at that time I go, I know the rules, and you can play exactly by the rules. But I never had seen anybody do that in all my years of watching golf. The stents work wonders, and weeks later, Johnny undergoes a surgery that cuts his resting heart rate, which had been sitting north of 130, down into the 60s. He's finally able to go home, after several months in Augusta. He's been released from his job. He's worried about his insurance, but he starts to ease back into his life. Then it was time for me to kind of get my, my stuff together, start finding out what my mind and body was going to be able to do to get me back to work. Johnny continues his comeback. He's doing cardiac rehab, working out his heart, getting stronger bit by bit. And then when did you start feeling like yourself again? I don't think you ever find yourself again. Johnny's home now, and he's undergoing some serious lifestyle changes. Now, I've been working out. I got a stationary bicycle that's sitting right beside my recliner. May not be the prettiest thing in the living room, but if I see it, I'll get on it. I try and do anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes a day on it. I went from a, almost a 36 waist, and I'm a 32 now. I lost probably 40 pounds. I was probably 209. I think I came home at 160. I think I got as low as 169. I'm about 170, 171 right now. It's 2019 now. Johnny's made it through months of unsteady progress. Some days are good, others not so much. And then in February, his wife comes to him with an interesting offer. My wife comes and asks me, Johnny, uh, we've got an invitation to go back to the Masters. You know, because it was my wife's first time when we went and I had the cardiac arrest. So she never even got to witness the tournament. Right. So. And I said, well, Christine, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be ready to do that. So I said, let, let me think about it, and, and, and I'll let you know, you know, give me a day or two to think about it. But eventually Johnny decides. He wants to go back. They have tickets for the Friday of the Masters again, and they decide to retrace their steps from the year before. We spent the night up there. We kind of did the same ritual we, we did the first time. We went to Longhorns again. Fireball? No, no fireball this time, no. <laughs> Things start to get emotional on Friday morning, Johnny says, on his way over to Augusta. He's got a pacemaker in this year, which means he gets separate entrance into the grounds. We got a line specially just made for you. Mm -hmm. I go, well, I appreciate that. After what I went through last year, they ought to have a damn line for me. <laughs> yeah. So so they wind me, get me on through, and then the chills started hitting me. But I, I held together pretty good. Then we went later on to the site of where I dropped. And we went 
me, my wife, my sister was with us. She did not go to that site. She said she couldn't handle that. But me, my my wife, and the two fellows that were with us the year before, we went over to the site, and then we said a little prayer. What was your emotion and your experience like then being at Amen Corner in that same place a year later? Grateful. Yeah. Just grateful to be alive and to be being able to experience it again, with, especially with my family being there. Because they, they were the backbone of what to get me to where I was at, too. It just it wasn't just me. Johnny sits and watches from Amen Corner, taking in all the action. Eventually, Tiger comes through. Tiger comes to 11 at 300 par. From the fairway, watches this approach. Fly just 10 feet below the cup. He flags his approach at the difficult par 4 11th, then pours in his birdie putt to get to four under. It's one of just a handful of birdies on the hole that day. Then he steps up to the 12th tee, not far from where Johnny's sitting, and he sticks it to five feet. This tee shot at the par 3 12th from 153 yards. Just five feet away for birdie. As Tiger's group heads towards the green, the horn sounds. Play is suspended. Johnny and others huddle under a shelter, and he shares his story with a few people in the crowd. He's thinking a lot about his past year, and a lot about Tiger Woods. It was just kind of fitting how he was making his comeback, and here I was trying to make mine. It was just kind of coincided together. Friday night after the tournament action is done for the day, Johnny and his friends head home, but they're still following the action intently. By Sunday morning, Johnny is posted up in his living room, watching his favorite golfer pull off the unthinkable. The return to glory. Where were you when you when you watched Tiger finish that off, and and what was that like as someone that, you know, has been a Tiger fan, and then also had this other connection to him and could relate to him as, you know, you guys were both both making your comebacks. As you asked the question, the chill bumps hit me. <laughs> so that that's what was happening when it happened. Yeah. You just go, it's, it's like it's like you go to another place. It's like golfer's heaven, how about that? That's going to do it for this week's edition of The Drop Zone. This episode was produced by Lee Finer. Thanks, Lee. All right, and thanks so much to Johnny Pruitt for sharing his story with us. Uh, and Johnny's plans for this year's Masters were actually supposed to be similar to the last two. He was supposed to head to Augusta Thursday night, 
get dinner at Longhorns, head out to the course on Friday. But Johnny's and the rest of our Masters plans have obviously all been interrupted by coronavirus. Um, but with the Masters in mind, this was supposed to be Masters week. So I want to bring in my co-host, Sean Zock. Sean, we're celebrating the Masters this week anyway. Uh, one of the ways we're doing that is, well, by pretending that it was still happening. So tell me a little bit about your best efforts to recreate the Masters. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, my best efforts really kind of lean heavily on the team at Data Golf. They use all kinds of golf stats and performance ratings to basically help gamblers. They kind of create their own ranking system of who are the actual best players in the world. They model how tournaments will likely play and do win percentages, all that stuff. Golf analytics, like, to the nth degree. And so I asked them, said, hey, guys, can you kind of tell us how the Masters was going to play out this week? And they did. They really delivered a, a ton of information. I asked them for hole by hole. They gave us over 5,600 holes played by the 94 competitors at the Masters this year. It's a lot of fun. John Rahm shoots 65 on Thursday. Lee Westwood is in the final pairing on Saturday. Rory ends up making an ace at the 12th. It's, it's a lot of fun to kind of imagine how, you know, what would be happening if we had golf shots being struck this week. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But in this simulated world, we can believe that it's you know somewhat somewhat real and act as though uh, act as though a top ten player actually claimed another. Green I know jacket. he uh, the winner. I won't say who because you should go read Sean's article. Respectfully declined my offer for a, a fake <laughs> Zoom call green jacket ceremony. The real the real the real winner. The actual winner of our yes. fake masters declined to actually do this, the, the Zoom interview. Butler cabin. I thought it was a top-notch idea. All right, what else do we have going on on the site? What are Shipnick and Bamberger up to? Yeah, so that was a Masters simulated. We have a fictional Masters being created by two of our most creative people, the two senior writers, Alan Shipnick and Michael Bamberger. They, in their world, this fake world of the 2020 Masters, hopped on Tiger's private jet from <laughs> Jupiter and we're mixing along with Tiger's agent, his new press operations lead, Hope Hicks. That was incredible. Uh, yeah. It's a little goofy. Fourth, fourth it's a little goofy, but it's a lot of fun. Hicks. And uh, really incredibly charitable of Tiger, given, you know, Michael just wrote a book about him <laughs> to then invite him on his private jet. Yeah, well, that, it's a lot of fun. They're going to do a different installment every single day. So that was the first one on Sunday night prior to the Masters. It kind of includes how guys are arriving at Augusta National. Each day is going to get better. I know that to be true. Like Wednesday will include uh, a number of par three contest stuff. I'm sure there will be a lot of juicy comments from the Tuesday press conferences that are supposed to be happening, but won't be. Um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And think of the two people on our staff, the two people in the golf world that can do this. It would be these two senior writers who have written books together. They've written fictional books together. It's, it's yeah. Right I mean, there. obviously there are infinite downsides to this entire situation, but there is one <laughs> fun thing, which is these two guys getting to flex their writing muscles a little bit. We're getting, I guess, multiple fake masters, which we would trade for a real masters. Hopefully we'll have one in the fall. All right. But how about next week, Sean, on the drop zone, you're going to be taking over hosting duties. What do you got for us? Yeah, it's about time. You have kind of crushed it with these first two episodes of the relaunch drop zone. But next week, we're going to have a tale about holes in one and how one person is 
incredibly lucky because he's got way more than me. Dylan, how many have you ever? I've one to aced? my name. One ace. Wow. That's one more than me and about 50 less than our story for next week. (laughs) I'm a skeptic, but I am willing to be proven wrong. So we'll look forward to that. Thank you guys for listening to The Drop Zone. I'm Dylan DeChair for Sean Zock. Join us next week.